Blog Talk Radio. Sounds of shamanic drums echoing throughout the sandy beach in Venice, or perhaps down in the Peruvian Andes among the Amaru people. The sound of ritual singing coming and floating through the air or the monks chanting in their chapels. Spiritual mindfulness, whether in the note of religious practice, mass, Buddhist prayer, deep meditation, spiritual mindfulness. Or perhaps we can go even to a scientific definition of what spiritual would mean, which could be simply put, the opposite of materialism. <laughs> it could be a very concrete description or a very spiritual experience. And it will largely depend on how you are approaching a particular audio listening. If you already have a spiritual practice, then this is going to have some moments and meditative moments where you can move into that space, and that will be quite enjoyable. If you're just curious but skeptical, we'll talk about some of the research that might help intrigue you at the very least and inform you as to the mind-body connections or the spirit-body connections that are being currently researched in the world. In addition, I'm a psychologist, but let me introduce myself. I'm a clinical psychologist, marriage and family child therapist, and a certified hypnotherapist. My name is Dr. Carol Francis. I work in the Los Angeles area, which is where I'm coming from. And my practice as a psychologist for the last 30 years has been oriented both toward the material research that guides the scientific aspect of helping individuals through various psychological complications and simultaneously has been guided by what would be the non-material or the spiritual aspect of a human being. And we can talk about the spiritual aspect in terms of mind versus brain. Mind being a spirit, brain being the material manifestation. We can talk about spirit in terms of the invisibility impact of emotions, feelings, and the form of all sorts of different components. A lot of the research is about feelings of happiness, joy, spirituality, awe, the God effect, the experience of stress on the body as it manifests in the body, the experience of perception. As perception, which is not related to actual truth, but actual interpretation of truth, and how that also manifests itself in a material way in the body, the mind-body connection, for example. We can also look at spirituality from a religious perspective. And while some people would like to throw religion out the window because of the human way in which it is so fouled up, and made indigestible. Or we can look at religion from the point of view of being able to structure a walk through the spiritual aspects of life. And some people enjoy the way certain organizations have structured a spiritual walk for them, and then they can join in that process. Or we can talk about spirituality in terms of your own experience of having a relationship with the non-material self, you. Some people would talk about that in terms of higher self, or your mind, meditation along those lines, the state of being, the now, the 
the chemistry or the invisible connection between you and nature or between you and an other or you and some sort of a sacred ceremony. And of course, we could talk about it in terms of you as a human being, all that that collectively means as it relates to existence outside of immediate material perspective and that existence could be in the divine, with the divine, with spirit, with a capital S, with cosmic um, spirit beings such as would be uh, symbolized in the term angel. I don't really care for sake of discussion, what perspective you have on your experience or your wandering about spiritualism. Because oddly enough, we're going to examine it from all sorts of different perspectives. And I'm going to use the word spiritualism actually to kind of encompass in general any time we as a human being have a self-conscious experience of something that feels spiritual to us. That's about as broad a base definition as we can get. If you have any ideas or thoughts or questions, please don't hesitate to call. Let me give you the call-in number. It's 347-326-9364 if this is I'm listening. First thing I'd like to talk about some aspects that are really connected to the world of recovery. The recovery world from drugs, alcohol, overeating, abuse, uh, anger, such as uh, angry manifestation of being an abuser or being subjected to abuse. To recover from those sorts of intensely addictive or intense experiences that have nothing to do with addiction that are difficult to move beyond, it might be important for some to think of religion versus spirituality as the AA programs, which are part of recovery programs, do. And one way they try to free people up from organizations that have run foul with spirituality and trying to define it so much that they actually dominate it and corrupt it, according to some people's experience, is this quote. Religion is for people who are trying to stay out of hell, and spirituality is for people who've been to hell. An interesting aspect of spirituality is when one has recovered or overcome traumatic or frightening circumstances, they often turn towards some sort of spiritual existence. I was referring to this yesterday to a friend who said, yeah, that's right, no one's, no one's an atheist in a foxhole. That when you're in a very difficult situation, you might be cursing God, but God nonetheless exists to be cursing. Or you might be pleading with God, the Spirit, to help, assist, accommodate. The interesting aspect of things is the embracing of the materialism or the lack of spiritual recognition that comes from classically from those who have an allegiance to the position of being an atheist. And I walked through a phase of my life where that was a position I adopted. Some scientists, I'm surrounded by scientists and scientist friends of mine, associates of mine, also kind of adopted that position. And I think that the movement away from that is to finally be able to say, well, I believe there is a reality that I can't explain, can't see, can't know about, but I have this sense of it. Have we created that sense of it? I'm shrugging my shoulders. 
I don't believe we have. I believe that that sense of spirituality is actually us sensing something that is there. A book that will interest those of you that really want to go into this in kind of a cognitive scientific way is written by Mario Beauregard and Dennis O'Leary. And it is entitled The Spiritual Brain. The Spiritual Brain. They are neurological, neurologically investigating the phenomena of spiritual process with, that is, manifests itself in the brain. Their point of view, and actually it was from that book that I got the, de- de- the uh, demarcation between spiritual and material. They did research on the Carmelite nuns, as you may have heard, and they basically came down to a realization that the spiritual practice of these nuns demonstrated neurologically that there can be an experience of something outside of one's self, or at least outside of one's material self. And their basic premise is, or not the the basic premise is that there is a spiritual realm. And therefore, how do we try to investigate that spiritual realm by looking at the material manifestation of an experience of that? This type of research has been repeated many, many, many times uh, over in the last decade. It, it's repeated in terms of psychic uh, energy, psychic uh, abilities, ESP, um, pro- projection of one's thoughts into another time and space was a very big defense industry uh, project, big in the sense that a lot of money went into it, although it was kept very secret for a period of time, but that's for another program. But it's also investigated in terms of various aspects of the neurology of our brain. They basically say, they make a convincing case that that God creates the spiritual experience, that it is not the brain that creates the spiritual experience. They challenge that God is a delusion. They challenge that it is only a trigger point in the brain of feeling good or feeling enraptured or feeling the awe that seems to be connected to meditative practices or the spiritual transformations and conversions. I think that it's important to know that human beings who don't want to approach believing in spirituality have an interesting position to take because there is a certain grandiosity, there's a certain anger, and there is a certain assertion that one can know the truth about the truth, about the non-materialistic truth. It is an assertion, it's a premise. I'm not saying it's without its validity. Certainly when Nietzsche said that religion is the opium of the people, certainly religion has been used to manipulate human beings to do horribly grotesque sorts of things, and that's why I was making a distinction between uh, religion and spirituality at the beginning. But on the other hand, uh, to approach spirituality as actually existing allows human beings to move into a position of humility, tolerance, forgiveness, acceptance, honesty, a healing of peacefulness, a freedom from 
chastisement, a tolerance of situations that don't go perfectly. Uh, it, it reduces the stress of human beings to believe Individuals that tend to be spiritual tend to emphasize the physical domain of health, taking care of oneself, having a relationship with food and exercise and body that optimizes the energy of health. The attitude of meditation has a tremendously positive impact on an individual's well-being. Your bodies are less stressed, more caring and compassionate. They're altruistic and helpful towards others. They create a general attitude of peacefulness in others as well so that they're pleasant to be with. Obviously, human beings are imperfect at best. In addition, though, we know that that prayer has a huge component in a person's health. Research that was done on this and has been done over the last 20 years indicates you can have a group of doctors pray for a patient in a vague sort of way and not pay for prayer, pray for another patient, and the patient who has been unknowingly the recipient of prayer will recover better. These sorts of truisms uh, in the world of prayer make it almost the responsibility of physicians, psychologists, healers in the material realm to consider the impact of the spiritual realm on their work with patients. An interesting part of that is vibrational medicine, mind-body links that are taking place. There was research in 1993 that was brought together in a collective meeting at Yale University, and it was all about this mind-body research in 1993, where it talked about stress as an emotional component of life, causing flare-ups and herpes. You could absolutely link that along with colon disease, heart disease, the ability to survive bypass heart surgery, uh, with optimism being a definite connection. Optimism is an emotional state. It's a non-material state. The ability to survive heart attacks and anger is also a very interesting series of research, again, the emotional world and that, um, that survival of breast cancer have a lot to do with the mind-body connection, mind being the non-material, and therefore in this program, the spiritual aspect of what's going on. The Betty Ford Center uh, has some interesting information. You can go to their website about recovery and spirituality. And the website is Betty Ford Center at, I'm trying to, oh, I'm so sorry. It looks at it's Verizon.com. <laughs> I'm so sorry. But they do have this really interesting way of looking at that spirituality tends to not harm anyone and tends to benefit everyone. Spirituality is in terms of serenity, hope, Faith, awareness, the positive impact of this sensation of awe, the sense of purposefulness, trust, the sense of believing in magic, higher power, something bigger than our limitations, mysticism, morality, ethics, a sense of conscientiousness, again, altruism. 
if spirituality can bring those qualities into a human being and then have that human being have this pervasive impact of those individuals around it, what's to say that spirituality, whether you believe it or not, isn't one of the most worthwhile phenomena for a human being to experience? So on that very pragmatic, utilitarian level, spirituality has its position. Individuals that don't embrace spirituality can also walk in a state of awe and purpose and trusting the world and being aware and having faith in the basic laws of nature or the belief and well-being of human beings to do their best. They can also create a sense of serenity and hope, but it is manufactured in the limitations of, not, of, of oneself and one's experience. As long as one's experiences are positive, then maybe you can maintain a position of positive. Let's pause. This is enough heady stuff for a moment. Let's see if we can actually create a spiritual experience. Let's start very, very minimally. Ready? Here we go. I want you to think of a moment, a meditative moment, okay? In order to get yourself into that spot, you're going to do a breathing exercise. Oh, we can do so many different. Qigong has got a lot of research on different types of breathing phenomena. Some yogic practices even use breathing to help manage weight and maintain metabolism. There's an attraction for you for the mind-body connection. Now we're just going to be doing the breathing. I'm going to breathe into the microphone. I want you to follow me. We're going to breathe deeply for four, hold for four, push out for four, and hold the emptiness for four. And in the moment that you're holding the emptiness, I want you to float into a memory of something that was absolutely wonderful, a wonderful sunset moment, a wonderful connection between you and a child or you and a lover, a wonderful moment where everything was just perfect in that suspended, captured instant. You're going to go to that wonderful moment. I'm going to count us through it. But you're going to go there. Every time you go to the empty space, you're going to go to that wonderful moment. Here we go. Breathe in. Two, three, four. Hold. Two, three, four. Push the air gently out. Two, three, four. Let the emptiness Two, three, four. Breathe normally and just hold that sensation of that wonderful moment. Again, we're going to do the breathing. Hold the sensation of that wonderful breathing. Breathe in that same moment. Three, four. Hold. Two, three, four. Gently push it out. Two, three, four. And in the emptiness of the breath, Hold that moment and make it even bigger. Noticing that you're using visual, emotional, recollection, re-experiencing something wonderful. Breathe normally. That is an awe moment. Interesting, as a certified medical hypnotherapist and, and hypnotherapist at large, <laughs> the ability of the brain to re-trigger a very similar pattern in the brain that associates the awe of the original event with the memory of the event is similar. So that the memory of the event, in some respects, the brain doesn't even know it's not actually remembering the event. Now what is fascinating is that little exercise we've just done has actually changed your serotonin and your dopamine. 
and it's actually helped reduce whatever stress you've been putting on your adrenal glands. And we can measure all this in the change that's evident in your blood. Here's one of my favorite all-time experiments with blood. If we were to take a vial of your blood and send it to another state, and we were to keep that blood animated and alive, fueled, so that it's really actually you, it's just outside your body, which is an interesting thought. And you go through some sort of blood transformation on location. It has been suggested by the research that's been doing this that remotely that live blood in another location will also go through the same transformation. I would call that a non-material connection. That's pretty interesting research. So think about the impact right now about you on people around you. Research was done in a meditative group of individuals that would go inside of a church and then do the meditations of the service. That individuals outside that church that weren't involved in any sort of meditative practice whatsoever, that their serotonin and other chemicals detected in their saliva would also demonstrate the impact of the reduced uh, effective stress and the increase in serotonin and dopamine, which are associated to a state of feeling very good, the awe, the happiness, the peacefulness, so that the people inside the church meditating would impact people within a certain surround outside. Now, here we go. <laughs> There's another experiment. Ready? Number two. Promise to three. I want you to think about an individual you care a great deal for. Think about them. Visualize them. Smell them. See detail on their body. See them in a certain location. And they can actually be right there in the room with you while you're listening to this, but not aware of this. And now I want you to literally send emotions of joy, happiness, and love in their direction mentally, emotionally, spiritually, physically. Radiate it. Think about it. Do that in the next 60 seconds while I'm talking. This experience of you actually having goodwill towards them and wanting them to have goodwill, the research that I'm talking about is true, will actually have an impact on their well-being not just because they might be resonating with your own sense of collective peace and well-being towards them. That can have an impact, no question about it. And perhaps that's the connection component that can go from one material being to another material being. Keep thinking you now. Keep feeling that positive experience. Keep thinking positive things for them. Keep radiating that in your own imagination right now while I'm talking. If a parent does this with a child in the midst of a difficult circumstance, or the, maybe the parent would rather yell at the child, or the child's being annoying, if the parent is able to capture that in just their own being, their own attitude, their experience, and not do anything, a majority of the time, the child is going to calm down, feel better, be more peaceful. Well, it makes common sense because we experience that all the time. Now, keep doing it while we're talking. But think now the possibility that actually the parent having that goodwill toward a child may actually be radiating something that affects the actual biochemistry of the child. I think this is profound information, that we can have such a collective impact. 
Here's some other fascinating research. Greg Braden and a few other individuals have talked about this. Think about 9-11. I know where I was at. I saw the horror for some odd reason. Never turned on the morning news. Life goes too fast in the morning at my house. Too many people, too many responsibilities to actually turn on television and watch any of it. But I had this very strange impulse to turn on the news, which I also would not do because that's just a difficult thing to start the morning out with. Uh, that can also have an impact on your adrenal lymphatic system. When I turned the television on, I saw the first building of 9-11 exploded and destroyed. And then I watched in horror. At first, I thought it was just a, a good Bruce Willis thriller, which I enjoy tremendously. Think about that. Wow, that, that TV show looks very real. What, what adventure show is that? And then to have the second airplane come and the people screaming, screaming, that are listened to, that very different to listen to authentic screams and those contrived by Hollywood. And suddenly the collective experience of that horror and what they're going through. And I remember screaming to the other people in the house and then just crying and being horrified for them. Uh, horrified about it and feeling the whole thing because I was seeing it, so to speak, live while someone was filming, filming it, not knowing that second airplane was going to cause such pervasive de- you know, desperation and devastation. What's fascinating about this other research is that these detectors that the Princeton research had put around in various locations to detect stress levels or detect emotional vibration, so to speak, in different regions of the planet the day before began to show a high evidence of an energetic process taking place. It was spiking. And then within an hour after the event had occurred, my understanding is is that those uh, sensors reduced in their spike as if there was a collective anticipation of something occurring. That's their interpretation, a collective anticipation of a, a material event that will occur in the future. An earthquake recently, two days ago, yesterday and two days ago, impacted my area. The dogs were reacting before I had any sensorium of anything occurring. And that was a common experience among a lot of dog owners. Maybe they're just sensing something on a material level that we just really can't understand. Auditory events that we just have no sensorium for. But it does, again, call to the effect. What are we aware of? What do we sense? That's non-material to our consciousness, but it's actually there. Well, that was the third experience, thinking about your sensitivity to devastation, which is different than the chronic sense of fear. Today, as you go through your life, research is very clear that meditation and prayer, whether you believe in it or not, will have a significant impact on your well-being. And now I'm suggesting it will also have a significant impact on those around you. That you will reduce the strain on every portion of your body, every organ, every chemical, every nerve, even your bones, your blood, 
will be altered by the attitude that you carry with you that's meditative and spiritual in nature. The beauty of being able to know that you are in charge. You are in charge of the moment of experiencing something worthwhile to you and others around you is deeply, deeply moving. Consider that. Have that impact. Experience it. Let me give you just a few wonderfully interesting books to consider. The God Effect, written by Brian Clegg, discusses wonderfully interesting things like time travel, the ultimate computer. Michio Kaku, author of Hyperspace, also wrote Visions, tries to apply this high-end way of thinking about the complexities of the world around us that are invisible. Vibrational Medicine, written by Richard Gerber, talks about the impact of vibrations, different frequencies, and our well-being. I want to leave you with this quote, that those individuals that are punished for their sins, no, they're not punished for their sins. They're punished by their sins. And if I can just suggest that this quote from The Human Aura, by Kastumi and Dajwaku suggest that if you walk in your well-being and not in your cruelty, if you walk in your kindness and not in your attack, that you will experience not the judgment of your unkindnesses, but rather will live in the continuous flow of the God of your heart of the unperceived power of the of spirit. I hope this has informed and inspired you through your day. Dr. Carol Francis from Torrance, California.